Good day, this is Brother Jim Ellis. This podcast is entitled, The Providential Workings of God. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Verse 24 says, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. There will be times in every Christian's life when Romans 8.28 will be the hardest verse in the Word of God to accept. Now, I did not say, understand, I said, accept. It is not difficult to understand from an intellectual point of view what God is saying in this verse. Listen listen to that verse again. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. It is plain and it is a very clear verse. There's nothing hidden here or mysterious in the content of this verse. It is very straightforward in what it says. It is a direct and vibrant promise from God. But what about this or that? Well, when the this or that's of life come into play, all of us will tend to have some very sincere questions about Romans 8.28. It will only be when we come to understand the providential workings of God in this age of the grace of God that the this or that's of life that leave us with multiple unanswered questions and puzzling questions, it will only be then that the answers to those questions will begin to fall into place. Passages like Romans 8.28 are exclusively written to save men and women. They are not general verses given to the masses of mankind. They are verses meant for blood-washed, born-again men and women who have been justified by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. They are Christian-centered passages meant for God's direct and personal children who have been born of the Spirit and placed into His family. When we are saved, we become His distinct people separated out from the rest of mankind and sanctified unto him. Titus 2.13 says, Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous, of good works. That word peculiar doesn't mean strange. It just means a particular, distinct group of people. That is, saved people, born-again people, God's people. The Bible teaches that all men and women who are unsaved, they are outside His distinct family. They are lost and undone and without hope in this world. Ephesians 2 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, 
And that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which hath, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Then Paul goes on after these verses to describe men and women who have not received the salvation of God that is only found in Jesus Christ. That at that time, he says in verse 12, ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. No hope and without God in this world. Those words are without a doubt some of the saddest words in all the Bible. The words of comfort and the words of consolation in the Bible are and were meant for the sake of God's people who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. They were never meant as a source of comfort for lost, unsaved men and women. Simply put, there just are no words of comfort that can be given to anyone outside eternal salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are most certainly without God and without hope in this world. It can only be after a person accepts the free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ by the grace of God that the words of the Bible can or will become their source of comfort and consolation. Outside the Lord Jesus Christ, there are no words of comfort, no words of consolation, no words of help, and certainly no words of joy. Having said that, this podcast concerns the providential workings of God in the lives of every saved child of God. Now, What do I mean by the providential workings of God? Simply put, it is God working unseen in the affairs of men and women to bring his will to pass in their their lives. We read in 2 Corinthians 5, 7 that we walk by faith and not by sight. The word walk implies that we are going somewhere. We are traveling through somewhere. We are not standing still, but we are on a journey of some kind. Under grace and the grace of God, we are journeying journeying through this life by faith. Romans 1.17 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Romans 14, 23 says, For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Hebrews 11, 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. This age of grace is characterized by one word, faith. If we can see it, if we can hear it, if we can smell it, if we can touch it, it is not faith. Faith is not something that's mysterious and misty. 
It is simply accepting and believing the content of God's book, the Bible, without having to see or experience signs and wonders and miraculous and the mystical things. Some years ago, I was witnessing to a lady to try and convince her to Jesus Christ. And she said, well, preacher, for years now I have been praying that God, and she pointed to a place on the wall. I've been praying, she said, that God would make a spot appear on that wall. And if he would do that, then I promised that I would get saved. But my friend, that spot never came. If you're waiting for that spot on the wall, you're going to be waiting for a long time because it will it is never going to come. This is the time of faith. This is not the time of wonders and the miraculous and spots on the wall. There have been times in this world in ages past where God gave gifts to men and those men were then able to perform some mighty acts and deeds. But with the completion of the canon of scriptures, the 66 books of the Bible, those signs and miracles and wonders ceased. According to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, they have ceased. Those miraculous gifts have failed. They have vanished away, and they are no longer given by the Holy Spirit of God. We do not get to see the things done that people in the beginning of the gospel saw, the the things that those men were able to do and that other people were able to witness them doing. We do not get to see the lame walk by physical and magical healings. We do not get to hear the or see the deaf hear by healings and magical healings. We do not get to witness men and women being raised from the dead. We do not get to see blind men regain their sight by physical healings. We do not get to see men come forth from their tombs. If we could see those things taking place, it would not be faith. It would be evidence. And faith does not require evidence that what God has said in his book is true. Faith does not ask for proof. Faith accepts and believes and trusts the already confirmed, revealed word of God in his Bible. If a person is looking for physical proof or evidence of God in heaven and hell and angels, they're not going to get it, not in this age. If you could see heaven, or if you could see hell, or if you could see angels, that would not be faith, that would be evidence or proof. People who claim such things are deluding themselves. I checked into a motel one time, and the person at the desk asked me to see my ID. And I said, well, why do you need to see my ID? He said, so you can prove you are who you say you are. And I suppose, in other words, I'm a liar until I can prove otherwise. When people demand proof or evidence, they are, in essence, calling God's book a lie. And God himself a liar. There was a time in the dispensations of God that he allowed evidence by sight. But those times and ages have ended. 
God is not making things magically appear and disappear in this age. It is not the age of magic. Mankind has a fallen tendency towards the spooky and the magical. People seem to crave the mysterious and the mystical. Ghosts and mystical creatures and magic and aliens and mystical beings. Many carry that fallen tendency on into their spiritual and religious lives. There's just something inside many men and women that wants the spooky to be true. Now, I said all that to get to this. Just because we are not allowed to see the supernatural workings of God in this age, that does not mean that it is not happening. Remember Romans 8, 28, and we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to this purpose. Verse 27 says, for we are saved by hope. I'm sorry, verse 24 says we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? Hope in the Bible is not the kind of hope that a child has when he's hoping that he or she is going to get exactly what they asked for for Christmas. Maybe, just maybe, they'll get that new bicycle or maybe an iPad. Or maybe they will not. Bible hope is something we have been promised and it will absolutely take place but has yet to come to pass. Hope in the Bible is not a vain wish. It is not closing our eyes and grinting our teeth and hoping something to take place. It's not a wish. Bible hope is a firm and settled promise from God that will come to pass. Nothing in all the universe can prevent those promises and our hope from taking place that God has made to us and that hope that God has given us. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Things take place every day in the lives of Christian men and women that we never see or even realize took place, but they did. God's dealings and workings in this age are unseen. They are invisible, but they are not absent. In our bodies of flesh, we tend to focus our lives far too much on the physical side of our existence. We often wrongly evaluate good and bad events based in the physical and not the eternal. Many times we'll look at something as bad, but it's only bad from a physical or fleshly viewpoint. But God always sees the eternal and his workings are always based in that eternal good. There's not always an answer to the question that all of us sometimes ask the question, why? It is often the most difficult of all questions. And when it comes to the movings and workings of God in our lives, it is sometimes impossible to answer. And all the speculation and what-ifs that we can imagine will not give us the right answer. Romans eight seventeen says, And if children, then heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, 
If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul said again in 2 Corinthians 5.1, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, that is our body, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from above or from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we should be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. If you are blood-washed, born-again, saved child of God, you have the promise of God of His divine providential workings in your life. And that's every aspect of your life. Now, He never promised that we would always understand those workings, but He has promised us it is and always will be for good. There's a very interesting account given in the book of Acts in chapter 23 about Paul and some other people involved in Paul's life and a, an, an unusual situation that took place. Paul was very much hated by the Jews of his time. Paul was saved in Acts chapter 9 and converted to the faith of Jesus Christ. And that happened from a lifetime Paul had spent as being a Jewish religious leader steeped in the law of Moses. The Jews hated Paul for several reasons. One of those was because they considered him a traitor and they violently opposed the doctrines of grace that God gave to Paul and that Paul preached. The Jews sought to kill Paul at every turn. Paul had returned to Jerusalem in Acts 23 after many years of being gone, and the Jews captured Paul and tried to beat him to death. The Roman captain of the guard rescued Paul and put him in chains in the Roman guardhouse. The Jews made a plot to kill Paul, and 40 men, 40 Jewish men in Jerusalem, placed themselves under a, under a vow to not eat until... They had killed Paul. They vowed to forego all food until these 40 men were able to get to Paul and end his life. Paul's nephew heard about the plot, and he went to where Paul was held prisoner. And Paul told him, or rather, he told Paul of the plot. And Paul, in turn, sent him to tell the Roman captain. Let me read this passage and there were more than 40 which had made this conspiracy. And they came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves together under a great curse that, we'll, that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Now therefore ye with the council signify to the chief captain that it bring him down unto you tomorrow, 
as though you would inquire something more perfectly concerning him, and we, or ever he come near, are ready to kill him. So here you have 40 men. They've got a scheme to get Paul to come to a place where they would be so they could kill him. And when Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait, he went and entered into the uh, castle and told Paul. And Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said, Bring this young man unto the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the chief captain and said, Paul the prisoner called me unto him and prayed me to bring this young man unto thee. Who has something to say unto thee? Then the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately and asked him, What is it that thou hast to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldest bring down Paul tomorrow into the council, as though they would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield unto them, for there lie in wait of him them more than forty men, which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him, and now are they ready looking for a promise from thee. So the chief captain then let the young man depart and charged him, See thou tell no man that thou hast showed these things to me. And he called unto him two centurions, saying, Make ready two hundred soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen threescore and ten, spearmen two hundred at the third hour of the night, and provide them beasts that they may set Paul on, and bring him safe unto Felix the governor. My friend, none of this was a mere accident. Not when one considers the reality behind this event in time. A man did not get to be a Roman captain of the guard, a chief captain, by being soft or trusting. These were very hard, very ruthless, very tough, extremely ruthless men. Who was this Paul? that this Roman centurion would do as he asked when he asked him to take this young man to the chief captain. Who was this young man that this captain would take his word for it and on the word of a young boy mobilize his entire army? None of this happened without the providential hand of God bringing it to pass. God working behind the scenes is never detail in this passage and it's not even mentioned in this passage that God was causing all this to happen but he did and all of this that took place in the deliverance of Paul and the protection of Paul was by divine design through the providence of God. This great passage is a great example of God working in an unseen manner to bring his will to pass in the delivery of Paul from his change and from certain death. This is how our God works in this age of grace. He works in unseen ways to bring to pass his divine will. He no longer sends angels down to tap us on the shoulder and wake us up out of our sleep and break us out of jail like he did with Peter in Acts chapter 12. 
but he does very much work in unseen providential ways in our lives every day we are here on this earth. We walk and we live by faith. If you are a child of God, he has not forgotten you and you are not walking this life alone. You're not going to, to get to see what's going on behind the scenes. You're not going to have out-of-body experiences. The Christian faith is not centered in the magical or the bizarre or the spooky or the mysterious and shadows of the superstitious. That is not faith. That is not what faith is. Faith is not magic. Someone asked Albert Einstein's wife if she understood his theory theory of relativity, and she said, I must confess, I do not. But I know my husband, and I know he can be trusted. Well, I'm not sure how much Albert Einstein could have been trusted. But I do know the God who made me. And I know beyond a doubt that he can be trusted without reservation in Jesus Christ. We serve a great and a gracious God who will always do what is right. We're never always going to understand or know the reasons behind certain things that happen as they do. But whether or not we understand, Romans 8.28 is always going to be true. Paul said something in Galatians that's very telling about our personal relationship with our Lord. He said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul preached that Jesus Christ died to save all men and all women everywhere. But here in this passage, he makes the death of Christ extremely personal. Who loved me, and gave himself for me. And Jesus Christ will never have to be alone in this world and will never be forsaken. What Paul said here can be claimed by every saved, born-again believer in Jesus Christ. He loved you and he gave himself for you. Rest assured, my friend, we serve a great God who loves us, And when things take place in our lives that we do not and try as hard as we may, cannot understand, always remember, hold it close to your heart. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. God bless you. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this podcast. God bless you, and may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost 
be with you all.